Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And for this episode today, I would like to address the subject of what does the Lord require of thee? True Bible students recognize that we are no longer under the Old Testament today as far as being a source of authority for our religious practices is concerned. At the same time, we recognize that there is tremendous benefit to be gained from studying the Old Testament words. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. This being true, there are two passages that I want to look at beginning in this episode, one from the law and one from the prophets. And these two passages really kind of summarize our responsibilities to God and to our fellow man. The first one is found in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13, where Moses wrote the following, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good? The second very similar passage is found in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, where the prophet wrote, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? As the children of Israel were preparing to enter into the promised land, the 40 years of wilderness wandering behind them in the new generation poised to take possession, and having been the recipients of such great blessings, here now is what they were asked to give in return. The exhortation was essentially threefold. Fear, love, and obedience. From the prophet Micah, a contemporary of Isaiah, and one who preached in days that were constantly overshadowed by the threat of invasion and foreign rule, comes essentially the same message. Do what Jehovah deems to be right and enjoy his favor. Turn away from him and his standard and suffer the consequences. In verses 6 and 7 of Micah 6, The prophet wrote, With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before the God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? Does the Lord take delight in thousands of rams and ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah's point was what God truly wanted most of all was the penitent heart of each individual. He had shown them what was good, and that, of course, was the doing of his will. He wanted them to do justice, 
which is to act toward God and man according to the divine standard of righteousness revealed in his law. He wanted them to love kindness or mercy, which relates to specifically the compassion and warm-heartedness we are to show to our fellow man. And he wanted them to walk humbly with their God, which is to recognize the absolute holiness and righteousness of God and to live in humble submission and obedience to his will and his desire. Again, it really boils down to fear, love, and obedience. And that is what has always been what God requires of his people. Just pause and consider the bountiful blessings that God has bestowed upon each of us. Even those who are not Christians among us must with all honesty admit that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Our health, all of our physical possessions, the air we breathe and the food we eat, the clothing that covers our bodies and the roof that shelters us from the elements are all attributable to the beneficence of God. For those who are the children of the Lord, in addition to all the physical blessings, we enjoy forgiveness of sins. We enjoy the hope of eternal life. We enjoy a peace that truly does pass all understanding. We enjoy the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we enjoy a constant and open line of communication with our Creator. Being so abundantly blessed by God, what is it that He requires of us? What is it that He wants in return? He wants all to fear Him, love Him, and obey Him. That is what I want to do for the remainder of our episode today, doing what the Lord requires of me all the while recognizing that what he requires of us pales in comparison, actually doesn't even begin to compare and perhaps shouldn't even be compared with what he has done for us. So let's consider, first of all, God wants us all to fear him. But what exactly does that mean? Does it mean that God wants us all to live in constant terror and a shivering dread of the awfulness of the wrath of God? Does it mean that God wants us to view him as an all-powerful being who is just waiting for us to fall short so that he can squash us like a bug? No, not at all. When the Bible speaks of the fear of God, it is speaking of a reverential fear, a deeply felt respect that comes from a recognition of who he is. It's not talking about being afraid as we might fear an enemy or a bad man or a wicked superior whom we serve only out of the dread of the consequences of failure to do so. Looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 15, Paul wrote the following. He said, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We serve God, or at least we should, not out of some quaking kind of fear, but out of love, the kind of love that we have for our Father. Brethren, practically speaking, the fear of God should prove to be the controlling motive in our lives, to do what we do because we do not want to displease God in any way, to do what we do because we have absolute trust in God and recognize that He is in control. Think of some examples of individuals who were specifically we are told, feared God. There was Abraham in Genesis 22, 
who went about the task of offering his son Isaac as a burnt offering. And as he raised the knife over the bound body of his son on the altar, he was stopped by the angel of the Lord, who said in verse 12, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad, and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Do you think that fear of God attributed to Abraham carrying the idea of his being afraid? No, but it certainly carries the idea of absolute trust in God and a wholesome dread of displeasing him because of who he is. When the Hebrew midwives in Egypt refused to take the lives of the Hebrew children in Exodus 1, we are told in verses 17 and 21 that they did so because they feared God. That wasn't a quaking, quivering fright. It was a reverential respect and an absolute trust that what happened, whatever happened, God was in control. God wants that fear of him to be a controlling motive in our lives. Everything we do must be approached from the standpoint of God first. That is what fearing him is all about. In our homes, in our businesses, at school, in sports, in all of our relationships, how God would want us to behave has got to be considered. How God would feel about what we do and say all the time needs to be in our minds. When we consider how we have been blessed, how can it be otherwise? Remember Hebrews 12 and verse 28, where the Hebrew writer wrote, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe or godly fear. After Solomon's search for meaning, fulfillment, and happiness in his life, his conclusion, probably known to most Bible students, is found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is, Fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. Again, what does God require of us but to love him? Whenever I think about the love of God, and by that I mean the love that I am to have for him, I cannot think of any reason not to love him. Can you? Can any of us think of a reason not to love God? Let's go to 1 John 4 and read several passages. First, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Skip on down to verses 16 and 19 of the same chapter. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love 
because he first loved us. Can't we all see? How can we be alive on this earth and not love God? He has given us everything, all that we possess, all of our talents, all of our abilities, again, the very air that we breathe, the water that we drink. And then, when we turn our back on him in sin, he gave his son that we might be saved. How do we even comprehend that love? How do we explain it? Perhaps as Paul did in the well-known passage from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 8, which tells us, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. As Jesus hung on the cross and looked down upon those who had brought him to that place, as he looked upon those who had driven the nails, and as he gazed into the jeering faces of those who mocked him, and my face could have been on any one of those people, for I am a sinner, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. How can we not love him? When God asks of us simply to love him, as I have loved you. As we continue to think about what it is that God requires of us, the next point is a natural outgrowth of loving him. Indeed, our love is manifested and demonstrated by it. Jesus put it so simply in John 14, verses 15 and 21, when he said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And from verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them He it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. What does God require of us but to obey him? In all areas of our life, God wants us to reverently consider who he is, love him for all that he has done, and obey what he has commanded. Think about it from the standpoint of our responsibility to worship him. Most Bible students are familiar with the discussion Jesus had with the Samaritan woman in John 4. At verse 24, it says, Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I believe it is important to realize that all people have the responsibility to worship God because of who and what he is. There are some beautiful passages to be found in the Psalms that speak to this very point. Consider with me, if you would, Psalm 95, verses 1 through 6. The psalmist wrote, O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods in whose hand are the depths of the earth, the peaks of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for it was he who made it, and his hand formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Since we're here, let's just move over to Psalm 96 and read verses 6 or 9. It is so beautiful. It says, Splendor and majesty are before him, Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Everyone has the responsibility to worship God. It is just that the vast majority of the people choose not to do so in spirit and truth. God wants us to come together to sing praises to him. He wants us to gather each first day of the week to partake of the Lord's Supper and to give back to him a portion of the material prosperity that he has blessed us with. He wants us to pray and to study the word, and he does not want us to allow anything to take precedence over that responsibility. When the church comes together to worship, and included in worship is the study of his word, God has told us not forsaking our own assembling together, Hebrews 10 verse 25. He knows that each time we come together, we are considering how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. That's Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. He knows that every time we are not there when we could be, our empty seat speaks volumes to those who are present and to God himself. My friends, it is in our, our obedience to God. He wants us to tell other people about him. He wants us to the very best of our ability to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. He wants us to sound the word of the Lord out, just as the Thessalonian brethren were commended for what they did in 1 Thessalonians 1, 8. If we don't do it, who will? As we continue our discussion of being obedient, what does the Lord require of us but to be benevolent? The Lord wants us individually to help those who have need. Think of James chapter 1 and verse 27 where we are told, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In fact, the Lord used whether or not we are benevolent as an illustration of who will go to heaven and who will not in Matthew 25. He spoke of giving of meat and drink, shelter and other help to those less fortunate than ourselves. God wants us to be good citizens of the communities in which we live, being in subjection to the laws of our land. He wants us to be good husbands and wives, he wants us to be good mothers and fathers and good children as well. Have you noticed that everything the Lord wants and requires of us is for our good? God wants all of his creation to be happy and fulfilled, and he has given us the instructions as to how to go about it. The happiest, most contented people in the world are those who fear God, love him, and obey him. They are Christians. Who are the happiest people and the most contented people you know? Aren't they Christians? We may not be the wealthiest as far as the world's goods are concerned. We may not be the most politically powerful or the most well-known. But people who fear God, love Him, and obey Him have more of what matters than all of the goods of this world put together. As God views us and cares for us throughout this life, I know that Third John 4 is applicable to him. I know this because John wrote it through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I know that God feels this way. 
I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. That comes from fearing him, loving him, and obeying him. Thanks for listening.